Chapter Forty One of the Queen's Necklace by Alexandre Dumas. The translator is unknown. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Gail Timmerman Vaughan. Chapter Forty One: Faces Under Their Masks. Two hours had elapsed, and the conversation still continued. The cardinal was now the slave, and Jeanne was triumphant. Two men often deceive each other as they shake hands, and a man and a woman as they kiss. But here each only deceived the other because they wished to be deceived. Each had an end to gain, and for that end intimacy was necessary. The cardinal now did not demonstrate his impatience, but always managed to bring back the conversation to Versailles and to the honours which awaited the queen's new favourite. She is generous, said he, and spares nothing towards those she loves. She has the rare talent of giving a little to everyone and a great deal to a few. You think, then, she is rich? She makes resources with a word or a smile. No minister, except perhaps Turgot, ever refused her anything. Well, said Madame de la Motte, I have seen her poorer than you think. What do you mean? Are those rich who are obliged to impose privations on themselves? Privations? What do you mean, dear Countess? I will tell you what I saw. I saw the Queen suffer. Do you know what a woman's desire is, my dear Prince? No, Countess, but I should like you to tell me. Well, the Queen has a desire which she cannot satisfy. For what? For a diamond necklace. Oh, I know what you mean, the diamonds of Messieurs Beaumet and Bossange. Precisely. That is an old story, Countess. Old or new, it is a real vexation for a Queen not to be able to buy what was intended for a simple favourite. Fifteen more days added to the life of Louis Fifteenth, and Jean Vaubernier would have had what Marie Antoinette cannot buy. My dear Countess, you mistake. The Queen could have had it, and she refused it. The King offered them to her, and he recounted the history of the ship of war. Well, said she, after all, what does that prove? That she did not want them, it seems to me. Jeanne shrugged her shoulders. You know women in courts, and believe that? The Queen wanted to do a popular act, and she has done it. Good, said the Cardinal. That is how you believe in the royal virtues. Ah, skeptic, St. Thomas was credulous compared to you. Skeptic or not, I can assure you of one thing, that the Queen had no sooner refused it than she earnestly desired to have it. You imagine all this, my dear Countess. For if the Queen has one quality more than another, it is disinterestedness. She does not care for gold or jewels, and likes a simple flower as well as a diamond. I do not know that. I only know she wishes for this necklace. Prove it, Countess. It is easy. I saw the necklace and touched it. Where? At Versailles, when the jewellers brought it for the last time to try and tempt the Queen. And is it beautiful? Marvellous. I, who am a woman, think that one might lose sleep and appetite in wishing for it. Alas, why have I not a vessel to give the King? A vessel? Yes, for in return he would give me the necklace, and then you could eat and sleep in peace. You laugh. No, really. Well, I will tell you something that will astonish you. I would not have the necklace. So much the better, Countess, for I could not give it to you. Neither you nor anyone, that is what the Queen feels. But I tell you that the King offered it to her, and I tell you that women like best those presents that come from people from whom they are not forced to accept them. I do not understand you. Well, never mind, and after all, what does it matter to you, since you cannot have it? Oh, if I were king and you were queen, I would force you to have it. Well, without being king, oblige the queen to have it, 
and see if she is angry as you suppose she would be. The cardinal looked at her with wonder. You are sure, said he, that you are not deceived, and that the queen wishes for it? Intensely, listen, dear prince. Did you tell me, or where did I hear it, that you would like to be minister? You may have heard me say so, countess. Well, I bet that the queen would make that man a minister, who would place the necklace on her toilette within a week. Oh, countess, I say what I think. Would you rather I kept silent? Certainly not. However, it does not concern you, after all. It is absurd to suppose that you would throw away a million and a half on a royal caprice. That would be paying too dearly for the portfolio, which you ought to have for nothing. So think no more of what I have said. The cardinal continued silent and thoughtful. Ah, oh, you despise me now, continued she. You think I judge the queen by myself. So I do. I thought she wanted these diamonds, because she sighed as she looked at them, and because in her place I should have coveted them. You are an adorable woman, Countess. You have, by a wonderful combination, softness of mind and strength of heart. Sometimes you are so little of a woman that I am frightened. At others, so charmingly so, that I bless heaven and you for it. And now we will talk of business no more. So be it, thought Jeanne, but I believe the bait has taken nevertheless. Indeed, although the cardinal said, speak of it no more, in a few minutes he asked, Does not Beaumais live somewhere on the Quai de la Ferraille, near the Pont Neuf? Yes, you are right. I saw the name on the door as I drove along. Jeanne was not mistaken. The fish had taken the hook. And the next morning the cardinal drove to Monsieur Beaumais. He intended to preserve his incognito, but they knew him and call him Monseigneur directly. Well, gentlemen, said he, if you know me, keep my secret from others. Monseigneur may rely upon us, but what can we do for your eminence? I come to buy the necklace, which you showed Her Majesty. Really, we are in despair, but it is too late. How so? It is sold. Impossible, as you offered it only yesterday to the Queen, who again refused it, so our other bargain held good. And with whom was this other bargain? It is secret, Monseigneur. Too many secrets, Monsieur Beaumet, he said, rising. But I should have thought that a French jeweler would prefer selling these beautiful stones in France. You prefer Portugal very well. Monseigneur knows that, cried the jeweler. Well, is that astonishing? No one knew it but the Queen. And if that were so, said Monsieur de Rouen, without contradicting a supposition that flattered him, oh, that would change matters. Why so, sir? May I speak freely? Certainly. The Queen wishes for the necklace. You think so? I am sure of it. Then why did she not buy it? Because she had already refused the King, and she thought it would look capricious to buy it now. But the King wished her to have it. Yes, but he thanked her for refusing. Therefore, I think she wishes to have it without seeming to buy it. Well, you are wrong, sir. I am sorry for it, Monseigneur. It would have been our only excuse for breaking our word to the Portuguese ambassador. The cardinal reflected for a moment. Then, sir, let us suppose that the queen wishes for your necklace. Oh, in that case, Monseigneur, we would break through anything that she should have it. What is the price? One million five hundred thousand francs. How do you want payment? The Portuguese was to give one hundred thousand francs down, and I was to take the necklace myself to Lisbon, where the balance was to be paid. Well, the one hundred thousand francs down you shall have. That is reasonable. As for the rest, your eminence wishes for time. With such a guarantee, we should not object. Only credit implies a loss. The interest of our money must be considered. Well, call it one thousand six hundred francs, 
and divide the time of payment into three periods, making a year. That would be a loss to us, sir. Oh, nonsense. If I paid you the whole amount tomorrow, you would hardly know what to do with it. There are two of us, Monseigneur. Well, you will receive five hundred thousand francs every four months. That ought to satisfy you. Monseigneur forgets that these diamonds do not belong to us. If they did, we should be rich enough to wait. They belong to a dozen different creditors. We got some from Hamburg, some from Naples, one at Buenos Aires, and one at Moscow. All these people wait for the sale of the necklace to be paid. The profit that we make is all that will be ours, and we have already had it two years on hand. Monsieur de Rouen interrupted him. After all, said he, I have not seen the necklace. True, Monseigneur, here it is. It is really superb, cried the Cardinal. Is it a bargain? Yes, Monseigneur. I must go to the ambassador and excuse myself. I did not think there was a Portuguese ambassador just now. Monsieur de Souza arrived incognito. To buy this necklace? Yes, Monseigneur. Oh, poor Souza, I know him well, said he, laughing. With whom am I to conclude the transaction? asked Monsieur Beaumet. With myself, you will see no one else. Tomorrow I will bring the one hundred thousand francs, and will sign the agreement. And as you are a man of secrets, Monsieur Beaumet, remember that you now possess an important one. Monseigneur, I feel it, and will merit your confidence and the Queen's. Monsieur de Rouen went away happy, like all men who ruin themselves, in a transport of passion. The next day Monsieur Beaumet went to the hotel of the Portuguese ambassador. At the moment he knocked at the door, Monsieur Beausire was going through some accounts with Monsieur Ducourneau, while Don Manuel was talking over some new plan with the valet, his associate. Monsieur Ducourneau was charmed to find an ambassador so free from national prejudice as to have formed his whole establishment of Frenchmen. Thus his conversation was full of praises of him. The Souzas, you see, replied Beausire, are not of the old school of Portuguese. They are great travelers, very rich, who might be kings if they liked. And do they not? Why should they, with a certain number of millions, and the name of a prince, one is better than a king? Ah, Portugal will soon become great, with such men at its head. But when is the presentation to take place? It is most anxiously looked for. The people around begin to talk of it and to collect about the doors of the hotel, as though they were of glass, and they could see through. Do you mean the people of the neighborhood? asked Beausire. And others, for the mission of Monsieur de Souza being a secret one, you may be sure the police would soon interest themselves about it. And look, continued Ducarneau, leading Beausire to the window. Do you see that man in the brown surtout, how he looks at the house? Yes, he does indeed. Who do you take him to be? Probably a spy of Monsieur de Crosne. However, between ourselves, Monsieur de Crosne is not equal to Monsieur de Sartine. Did you know him? No. Ah, he would have found out all about you long ago, in spite of all your precautions. A bell rang. His Excellency rings, said Beausire, who was beginning to feel embarrassed by the conversation, and opening the door quickly, he nearly knocked down two of the clerks who were listening. End of chapter 41